Good morning. We are glad you're here. It's good to see your smiling faces, and thank you for being here this morning to sing together, to pray together, to have the opportunity to study together. It's a great blessing. We appreciate so much the songs that we've been privileged to sing thus far. We will partake of the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes and remember the death of Christ and what a great blessing His death was to each of us. We are thankful to those of you who are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We're grateful for the number of visitors who are with us today. We hope and pray that the time that you spend with us will benefit you, bless you. And uh, listen, if you're looking for a church home, we want you here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We're looking today at Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. The theme of our lesson today, lend a hand to someone in need. I would imagine that there are times in life when all of us need someone to help us. There are times in life when we face circumstances beyond our control. Difficulties arise, sometimes leaving us perplexed. And the beauty of being a child of God, I understand that God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. But one of the real beauties of being a child of God is to know that there are people of like faith who will stand by us when times are tough. And so that is a great blessing. I know that there are a lot of folks in the world today, they do not have a church family. And they have faced some tough times in life. Quite frankly, I don't know how they've made it. But to know that there are people within the body of Christ that love us, that care for us, that are willing to share with us, to encourage us, to support us, what a great blessing. So I want to look at Exodus chapter 17. And as we look at Exodus chapter 17, there are some things that emerge out of our text that help us to see the importance of lending a hand to those who are in need. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the battle. In order for us to maybe understand and appreciate the context here, let me just give you some background. The children of Israel... They have been delivered out of Egyptian bondage. God had seen their oppression. He was mindful of their tears. And as Moses would later record, He bore them on eagles' wings and brought them unto Himself. They crossed the Red Sea. And they had been delivered from their captors, from Pharaoh and his army. And so... As you look back and you think about the deliverance of Israel, what is so amazing to me is that not long after they got out of bondage, they became discontent. And so on the one hand, I think about the deliverance of the children of Israel. And you know the beauty of being a child of God is summed up by the Apostle Paul when he said that we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That occurs when we obey the gospel, doesn't it? 
when we contact the blood of Christ and then are added to the body of Christ. Now, as you look at the record, in chapters 16 and 17, the children of Israel begin to murmur and complain. Imagine if you can, you have been born out of Egyptian bondage by the mighty hand of God. And then you begin to murmur and complain. And they talked about how they remembered the pots of meat and the bread that they had in Egypt. In chapter 17, they cry out and complain because they need water. The same God that delivered them out of Egyptian bondage would certainly have met every need. He did meet their needs. Sometimes we don't realize how blessed we are in life, do we? One of the real problems that people have sometimes is they're never content. Though they've been blessed richly, they live in a state of discontent. The children of Israel had been blessed, and yet in many ways they didn't understand that. So first there is the background. But then secondly, the battleground. Pick up with me now, if you would, in chapter 17, in verse 8. The first thing that we read about is the conflict. The children of Israel, they've just made their way out of Egyptian bondage. And they are traveling south from Egypt toward Mount Sinai. They arrive at a place called Rephidim. And the Bible says Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now over in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 12, they pagan people. And Moses said that they attacked the rear of the children of Israel, those who were stragglers and those who were wearied and tired. They took advantage of them. So as you think about this, in this world, as children of God, we are involved in warfare, aren't we? Paul would say, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, would say, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. The devil is stalking the land, doing everything within his power to subvert the faith of God's people. So just as ancient Israel faced conflict in days gone by as God's people today, we too face conflict. But now there's a call. Moses then reaches out to Joshua. Joshua is described by Moses as his assistant over in Exodus chapter 25. Imagine if you can having the opportunity to be mentored by Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. Moses would later receive the Ten Commandments. He was the leader of this mighty nation of people. And later in time, as you recall, Moses would pass away at the age of 120 years. And the Bible says that General Joshua assumed his place of leadership. And it was under the command of Joshua that the children of Israel would enter the promised land and ultimately settle in that land flowing with milk and honey. And so there is the call to Joshua. Joshua was a brave and bold leader of God's people, wasn't he? 
said a minute ago that he had the opportunity to learn from Moses. The beauty of being a child of God is that we can be mentored and molded by faithful people, by brethren who are older in the faith, who have experienced the ups and downs and the highs and lows of life, individuals who know the Word and can share that Word with us. And so God said to Joshua in the long ago, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. You remember later in the history of Israel, God instructed a man by the name of Saul, the king over the United Kingdom, to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And the reason was because of their actions toward the children of Israel. Sadly, Saul disobeyed Almighty God and lost the throne. A young man by the name of David assumed that mantle of leadership. And so God is telling Joshua, I want you to get some men, and I want you to go out and fight with Amalek. And the Bible says, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand, speaking of Moses. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think for a minute or two about the burden. In this record, we read about Moses standing with the rod of God in his hand as the children of Israel fought the Amalekites. And note if you would, first and foremost, the fight. The Bible says, So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, Moses held up his hand. As you think about this fight, the Amalekite people, they were powerful and they were persistent. It was going to take a lot of effort on the part of God's people to dispose of the Amalekites. Which says to me that the enemy that we face today is both powerful and persistent. There's never a time in life when you can let your guard down when it comes to the work of Satan. You remember the Apostle Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Luke chapter 4, we read of Jesus being tempted by the devil. And you remember Jesus responded to the overtures of the devil by saying, It is written three times. In verse 13 of chapter 4 in Luke's account of the ministry of Christ, the Bible says that the devil left him until an opportune time. And the point is, the devil's not going to leave you alone. The devil wasn't going to leave the Lord alone. Matter of fact, he did everything within his power to disrupt and thwart God's redemptive plan. He wanted the Lord to abort his mission. And yet Jesus was faithful. And so in order for us to stand true and tall in the saddle. We've got to be faithful to God, don't we? Now, as I think about the record here and the fight, the text tells us that fatigue became a real problem for Moses. Listen now to what the text says. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy 
or weary. He became tired. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. I don't care how strong you may think you are and how in shape you may be, imagine if you can standing with your hands extended over a period of time. How long do you think you could keep your hands extended? Think you could do it for an hour? Two hours? Three hours? It'd be tough to do it 15 minutes, wouldn't it? Fatigue became a factor. As we live the Christian life, there are times when we become weary and tired. And we, like Moses, need others to be supportive of us, right? Are there not times in your life when you need somebody to stand by you? Now, we talk about Aaron. Aaron, of course became the great high priest. Her was the grandfather of a man by the name of Bezazel. And he was the one entrusted with the designs of the tabernacle. Bezalel was a great man. Fatigue and weariness can be problematic to the people of God. Why? Because as children of God, we all face difficulties in life, don't we? Is it not true that Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of what? Trouble. Show me somebody that you've met or that you know that's never faced any kind of trouble in life. I'll tell you, that's a special person. I don't know anyone on this side of eternity that hasn't faced some type of difficulty in life. The hardships and the trials of life. And you think about your faith. When the early church was born, they faced severe persecution for the cause of Christ. Difficulty after difficulty. The trials of life can bring about severe fatigue in the life of a child of God. And not just the difficulties of life, but the discouragements of life. You remember in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer was addressing in the first century Christians who were going back to Judaism. And the intent of the writer was to encourage these people to put their eyes on Jesus. To look unto Jesus, the one of whom he said, is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And then in verse 3, he talks about the possibility of becoming weary and discouraged. Sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? You ever been discouraged because of your plight in life? Because things weren't going as planned? Imagine if you can. Being a child of God and being strong in the faith, and over a period of time, you're faced with difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And what happens? Discouragement. You remember Elijah, that great prophet of God? In 1 Kings chapter 18, there was a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal put to death. 
Ahab was on the throne. Ahab accused Elijah of being a troubler of Israel, when in fact Ahab was the source of the problem. In chapter 19, Jezebel, the evil wife of Ahab, sent word to the prophet. And basically she said to him, let me tell you what, I will have your head. Elijah fled, became so despondent he was ready to die. And God had to remind him, look, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You've got to understand, Elijah, you're not alone. What happened? Elijah became discouraged, didn't he? And then what about disappointment? You ever been disappointed in people? Disappointed in a family member that maybe has said or done something that is a poor reflection on your family as a whole? You ever been disappointed in a brother or sister who at one time was faithful to God but no longer is? You remember Demas? The Bible says that Demas was a fellow laborer of the Apostle Paul. And yet in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Paul is writing here. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Let me tell you what, when people abort the faith of God, it is a disappointment. It hurts to see people that at one time were faithful to God, were faithful in worship, faithful in Bible study, involved in the work, who simply walk away. Happens more often than not. Or too often, I guess I should say. So as you look at Exodus chapter 17, and as you contemplate the weariness of Moses, and the fact that he became tired and needed some aid, let me just suggest a couple of other thoughts here. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can become wearied because of the duties that have been entrusted unto us as God's people. You remember in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul said, Be not weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Sometimes folks get wearied in the saddle of service, don't they? And they need to be encouraged or built up or supported in that work. Sometimes elders and deacons become wearied because of the great service that they're trying to render for the cause of Christ. Sometimes members are carrying a vast load in the church. What's the old saying? The 80-20 rule, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Sadly, sometimes that occurs. And so there is weariness from the duties of life Fatigue or weariness because of disgust in this life. One of the real problems in our day and time is looking at the moral erosion of the nation that we call home. Does it bother you? Is there not a sense of righteous indignation at what you see going on in our country? Didn't Solomon say righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people? If righteousness leads to the building up of a nation, then unrighteousness or sin will tear it down. You look around today and you look around in our country, 
We have a real problem in our country with integrity and character and morality. Most of the problems that we face in this country could be eradicated if we just go back to this book. You could take every piece of legislation in Washington and throw it out the door and take the Bible and you've got the cure for the problems in this country. You believe that? It's true. So sometimes we need encourage. Sometimes we need to lend a helping hand to others. Now you think about where you are spiritually. Are there people that you know who are members of this body who are not where they ought to be? Maybe they're weak. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they've fallen away. You could make it your personal ministry to try to be supportive of them, to help them, to help them find their way back to where they need to be in service to God. You have no idea the influence that you can exert over somebody. There is somebody here that will listen to you, that will appreciate you, and that can be blessed by you if you're willing to step up to the plate and try to help. So I think about the battle, the burden, and then thirdly, the blessing. Now listen to what the text has to say. Again, looking at verse 12. Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Moses was supported by faithful men. You could be an Aaron, you could be a Hur in the life of somebody, couldn't you? Look at the life of Moses. Moses is on the hill. He's extended the rod of God. He's got his hands held high in the air. He's weary and tired. He's fatigued. And when his hands dropped, Amalek prevailed. When his hands were extended, the children of Israel prevailed. He needed somebody to stand with him and by him. Is there somebody you could stand with and by right now? Didn't Solomon say in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one? If one overtakes another, two can withstand. I understand that God will never leave us nor forsake us. But as members of the body of Christ, there is a real need for us to be supportive of one another. There are times in life when we, like Moses, need someone to stand with us and by us. No flip side of that, you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4? And he talked about some preliminary hearing in which all men had forsaken him. 
He said, in my first defense, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. Paul didn't have an Aaron or her to stand by him. He needed somebody to stand by him. He needed someone to stand with him, but they weren't there. And yet Paul said, I pray God that it won't be charged to their account. But he went on to say, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You can count on God to stand with you through thick or thin, come what may. You go back and you look at, at the labors of Moses and Joshua and others. Were there not times of victory, times of success, and also times of failure? Yes. Were there not highs and lows in their lives? Yes. But in this context, there was support, wasn't there? So Moses was supported by faithful brethren. And then here's the second thing. He was successful because of faithful brethren. Listen again. Listen again to what the record says. Verse 12, Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Moses and Hur and Aaron, three men, spoken of in historical terms in Scripture. Moses needed Aaron, and he needed her to stand with him, to stand by him, and they were valiant men, weren't they? They stood ready to assist when the need arose. Not only were they men of valor, but they were men of victory. Now I want you to think about something as we close today. What is the ultimate goal of every one of us? It's heaven, isn't it? The children of Israel, they were on their way to the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey. Some of those people never made it to the promised land, did they? A generation of people died in the wilderness. In order for the children of Israel to make it to the promised land, they had to work together, they had to be obedient to God. In order for us to get to the promised land, that is, that home called heaven, we got to work together. We've got to stay together. We've got to worship together. We've got to work together. We've got to be faithful together. All of us need help at some time in life. It might be that one day in eternity, you can look at someone and say, you know what, I'm here because of you. Or my family is here because you stood up and helped me in a very difficult time in my life. I can tell you right now, I can think of a friend of mine, been friends for many, many years. I would not be where I am today if it were not for him. I promise you, I would not be here today. Chances are, I would not even be a faithful child of God were it not for this friend of mine. It might be the case that there's somebody like that in your life. Someone said many years ago, no man is an island unto himself. We all stand alone in this world in some respects. But the beauty of being a member of the body of Christ is we don't have to stand alone, do we? 
We don't have to bear the hardships and heartaches and sorrows and trials of life alone because we can be there for one another. For every Moses, there's the need for an Aaron and her. So I ask you today, I want you to look around. And I want you to think about people that at one time you used to see sitting right beside you that aren't here today. People that know better, they ought to do better, but for whatever reason, they're back in the world. You can have an influence on them. For those who are suffering and struggling in this life, you can make it your personal work to encourage and to help that person. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and mercy and grace, for the hope of heaven. And we thank, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of a mighty brotherhood, to be a part of people who are of like faith. And Father, we pray that we will encourage and inspire one another. And we pray that one day we might all be together in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Paul said many years ago, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what would you need to do? Well, we can go back to where the church began and we can find out exactly what we need to do to become a child of God. It begins by a life of faith. Not faith only, but an obedient faith. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. So to put our faith and trust in Jesus, the great I am, the self-existent one, the eternal one, and then to willingly walk away from the ways of this world. It's called repentance. Pentecost Day, when the apostle Peter and other apostles preached the gospel in its fullness for the very first time. When those people cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, number one, you need to repent. And then number two, you need to be baptized or immersed in water. Here's the reason for the remission of your sins. In other words, so your sins can be washed away. When you do that, God will then put you in the church. Luke said in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to be voted into the church. No, God adds you to the church. And then the exhortation is to be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life. If you're here today and you're not faithful, you need to come home. You want to be restored to fellowship with God once again. Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?